way, we've titled it Possessing the Promised Land. And if you haven't read all of Joshua, it's amazing. There's so many lessons about when you go into the promised land that can be picked up from Joshua. And I would like to say we're going to get through them all today. I just don't feel that's happening. Um, but that's where we're heading, is we stepped over last week. There was a shift in the spirit of what's going on. It's not we are going to take it. We stepped over last week. We had the row. We stepped over. And so what does that look like? And so if you look at the promised land, in the Old Testament, there was a nation of Israel. And then as you go through it, the nation of Israel was broken into tribes, then families. Well, what do we look at to the New Testament? It's the body of Christ. Then we have our local body. And then we have the families within. So the Joshua is a good example. It's a foreshadow of what the body of Christ is today and our part that we have to play. And you know, one of the things is we are to take the city of Tossa. That's a promised land for this church. There's churches that are coming along to join us. But what does that look like? That seems pretty hefty, doesn't it? For 40 years, the Israelites wandered in the desert knowing that the land across the Jordan was theirs. But they never possessed it because of the 10 spies that brought the poor report and everybody believed the 10 versus the two that spoke the good report. But what does it look like to take Tulsa? What does the promised land for OC look like? What does it require in us to change in order to take the city? So just the way I wrote it, as we go over the promised land, we are able to give the main thoughts of what the promised land looks like. I'm not going to be able to give you what it looks like. Just like when Israel went across the promised land, they didn't know they were taking Jericho first. They didn't know the number of cities. They just knew this is ours. And in the obedience to cross, and then the Lord said, you're taking Jericho. And it says that they defeated 31 cities and kings. But you know, I can't find anywhere that it said that they would defeat 31 in that certain time period. But what they have to do? Trust. Many times in Joshua it says, be strong, be courageous. Trust in the Lord. Be strong, be courageous, for I am with you. Be strong and be courageous. I will not abandon you. There's numerous references throughout Joshua that lay that out. He's saying at the OC, be strong and courageous. I am with you. Be strong and courageous no matter what the government's doing. I will never leave or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. I have all the provision you need. And you're allowed to jump in whenever. I'll just... <laughs> He's like, I'm going to let Jason roll. Uh, I, did, I did want to back up just a second because he's talking about possessing the promised land. And, it, and he talks about how I've given you this land. But then he says, prepare yourself. And then he says, go possess it. So we're sitting back like, oh, he's just going to give it to us. And it doesn't work that way. We have to go possess it. They had to go fight. They had to go literally take over cities. And I feel like a lot of times we're sitting back and we're like, God, give me this promised land. And we're confessing for years for this promised land. But it never comes. Why? Because we're not walking. We're not going in to possess it. And possessing the promised land, it requires faith. And I'm not, I believe it was Papa Doug that gave me this definition of faith. Fantastic adventures in trusting him. Was that you, Papa Doug? Guilty. But it was one of those things he said, and I'm like, wow, that's a great definition of faith. Fantastic adventures in trusting him. That's what we're called to. 
We've talked about from vision nights on, seek first, do this, follow me. And that's simply what faith is with that definition. But in the excitement, who was excited last week? It was pretty cool. In that excitement of the new adventures of the new promised land, don't just get busy. It's easy in your excitement to start saying yes here, yes here. And we don't even seek the Lord to say, what am I to do? Because if he says do one thing and you do it and he's on it, it'll be more effective than you doing a hundred things and he's not on it. Joanne Moody at the uh, deep dive, she said, busyness, the busyness of ministry can't come before the heart of Jesus. So I, I wrote it in Jason's line. The busyness of the promised land can't come before the heart of Jesus. Because it's so common to say, okay, I'm stepping into this. There's a lot of people actually have their own personal ministries that sit in this house. It's easy to become so consumed with the doing that you aren't even being a child of God like you're called. Did I cover it? <laughs> so that was all intro of where we're starting at. You can speak. So he was talking about faith, how the promised land is inherited by faith, or that's the way I put it. Fantastic our adventures in trusting him. But with the in Joshua, you'll notice that they had a clear cut. They knew that that was their promised land. And for us to inherit our promised land, we have to know what is our promised land. And faith comes by. As we always say, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. You got to be hearing. If we don't hear, we don't know. So when we go in to possess our promised land, and he says, go and take Jericho, well, if, we don't, if we're not really sure about it, man, we're, we're, we're probably going to give up halfway through the woods to get there. You know what I mean? So you got to know. You got to be hearing. So there's so many lessons in the book of Joshua. We're going to go over some of them here. I'm going to give you the scriptures that they're coming from and maybe read parts of it. This is a place that taking notes and going back and reading it yourself is going to be hugely valuable. Um, because these are things that literally we were talking about. This could be a month-long thing, just going through Joshua in the lessons. So this is a, a challenge to you to go read the book yourself. Let the Lord quicken to you what he's saying. Because some of these things, I would get one or two things and he would add to it, especially on Jericho, of what the Lord's showing us from that story. Because he'll reveal to us different things out of the word based off of our level of maturity as we're going through it. So the first one is the lesson of the memorial stones. So when they walked through the Jordan, as the ark was in the middle, the Lord told Joshua, send 12, one from each tribe, to gather stones from the bottom of the dry riverbed. And so they took them across and they made a memorial. They made a memorial of what the Lord had done. This was the second time that the Lord has allowed them to cross water on dry land. So in Joshua 4, 1 through 7, and 19 through 24, are the scriptures that I'm going to reread. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. And then jumping down to verse 21. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land. 
For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed over, as the Lord your God did the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. So that was to remind them of the goodness of God. I've actually done this for probably 10 years. I'll journal what God did because sometimes you feel like you're getting kicked in the gut and you're like, man, Lord, are you with me? But when you can actually look back and say, he was good here. He brought us through this, 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 and this. You can go back and say, if he did it here, he's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. There's a song on our playlist, do it again. He is faithful. When you trust him, he's faithful to do it again and again and again. And there might be things that are memorial stones for you. There were memorial moments. And this isn't anywhere in my notes, but this is something me and my wife have been walking through, and it actually came from Robert. Because when it comes to finances, the Malones and us have walked through similar things. You had a lot, and the Lord scaled you back. But he's like, I live for moments now. I don't live for things. He said this about a year ago. I don't know if he remembers we had that conversation. But he's like, I live to have moments with my family. Because I was the one that I worked. I'm like, hey, here's the money. Go. I don't care. I don't want to go. I would rather sit. But that thought has been running in my mind for however long it's been. But the moments that I create with my family will last a lot longer than me buying them a PS5 or an iPhone, whatever. It's the moments you'll remember. It's the moments you'll laugh about. It's the moments that you'll be able to cry, reminisce, look at photos, and say how faithful God is, how good God is. You're not going to remember. Say your, take your favorite Christmas present. Do you remember it, or do you remember what that present did for you? How much it showed that your parents loved you? All these things. You remember the moment. You might remember the gift, but what sticks with you is the moment. And that's why they did memorial stones, because that was a moment that life might get tough, but you can go back to them stones and say, this land was dry, and I walked it, and I'm going to walk in dry land again. Yeah, that's, that's how you can get to the spot where it says, count it all joy when you face trials and tribulations of many kinds. Because you know, you've seen it before. Like, I've been through this, and there's a testimony waiting for it. So, yeah. You want to do number two? Okay. So the second one is the le lesson of changing provision. So this comes from Joshua 5, 9 through 12. And it says... Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of the Canaan for that year. So if you realize in the promised land, once they ate, the provision of the desert was gone, or the wilderness was gone. The manna dried up when they were in the promised land, which was what? Flowing with milk and honey. Had grapes and figs and stuff that were so big that they actually carried it out on poles. It took two men to carry it out. And for 40 years, they knew what the promised land had but they were have, eating manna, quail, all the things that happened in the desert, which were mar miraculous. 
But once they ate of the promised land, the things of the wilderness were no longer there. So as we step into our new promised land, personally and corporately, you might see a change in your provision. Because they did. The manna dried up that day. So from that day on, there's not been a reference of manna coming down. Because what? He changed the supply. He changed the provision. Yeah, and you can apply that to seasons of your life. Because I know the crows have gone through a transition. I've been going through a transition. Many of us have. And I know, like, the, my struggle, I guess, is I'm still trying to live. I'm trying to figure out that transition. I'm still trying to do things like I did in the desert when God's saying, no, I'm taking you into a new land. And I'm like, but, but I don't have this figured out. I don't know how to eat <laughs> fruit. I don't even know how to prepare this food. And it's a learning curve. And it gets harder. I, I'm just being honest. This is something I'm going through this exact moment is I'm trying to figure out this land that he's brought me into, even in the last month. It's like, how does this work? How do I even cook this food? It would be a whole lot easier if I went back to the desert, just took a couple of steps back. So for me, right now, there's this learning curve. But I know that if when I figure this out, this is what I've been praying for. And we think that when we get into that land that we've been praying for, it's going to be all easy. But God said, no, you got to possess it. you got to figure it out. And it will come. It will It'll be everything and more than you, that, you, that you want. It'll be everything and more that you want. But you have to figure it out. You got to learn how to be in this place, in this new land. You got to learn how to cook its food. You got to learn how to gather. It's nothing like the desert. And if we try to live that last season, we'll starve. It won't provide for us like this, like this season now, like this land now is supposed to provide for us. I, I used to have these guys. I used to have a pool business. And I would hire these guys that come out of prison. And I remember getting pulled on the way to prior. I got pulled over for speeding. And when I did, man, they all started dashing their wallets underneath the seat. And I was like, what is going on? So afterwards, the cop came. And he didn't even give me a ticket. He just told me to slow down. He went back, and they were all like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, Are you guys have warrants or something? They were like, no. We just didn't want them to. They were so afraid, even though they weren't guilty. They were living like as if they were still in prison. I had one guy who worked with me. If, a, if I'd be at a red light and a cop pull up to me, his knees would start hurting because he would get so anxious and so nervous. He was a free man, but he was still in bondage up here. He was living in the promised land, but up here he was still in the desert. And that's where we can't be. We have to embrace this promised land. Now, this is something the Lord has shown me. As he's talking about embracing a promised land, during worship I was writing this, but there's a place that truly he is calling us to dream again. And this was something that was said at the deep dive. The measure of a prophet is not how accurate they are. It is how well they can hold the secrets of God. And we all have a prophetic voice as we pray out our future for ourselves. But there's a lot of people, as he said that, you stop dreaming. There's a call to activate dreams and visions because you may have seen things in a promised land a month ago, three months ago, six years, 20 years ago, whatever it is, and you haven't sought the Lord on it. You haven't let it come to life. Man, there's a place our human nature is, if it doesn't come, what's the scripture? Hope deferred makes the heart sick because we were talking about it back there. But don't stop dreaming. 
Because a lot of us have dreams sitting on a shelf that we let go. And it's just when he brought that point up about the working and that type of stuff. We got to continue to dream. Ask him to bring back dreams, give you new ones. Don't get, because this promised land right now, we're just stepping in. We're just starting to possess. And that possession requires, it's going to be battles. They took 31 cities and fortified cities, defeated the king, killed all of them. And it was over a five-year period, that initial part, and then they continued to conquer more of the land. But that didn't come without people dreaming, seeing, because we're all actually the prophets of our life. God will speak to us. The spirit of prophecy is Jesus. So dream, see, but don't share with everybody. Too many people have dreams that they stop because they shared it with the wrong people. There's a place. And so when Joanne Moody said that, the measure of a prophet is not how accurate. It's how well they hold the secrets of God. Because he'll tell you when to release it into the right people. As the prophet of the house, there's things that I know he sees that never releases. He's led when he releases. Because the Lord will say, this is the time that people are ready to hear it. Or this is the time to release it because the people need to be startled in order to bring forth a change. Is that not true what a prophet does? But a prophet usually, a mature prophet will only release, depending who you talk to, 10 to 20% of what they see. Some say less than that, so I went on the larger portion. But there is a place that we're all called to dream again. Don't let that lie dormant. Don't stop dreaming because somebody told you it's not the right time. Maybe it's not the right time to share it with them, but it's still the time to journal and let God be the author of time when it comes to that. And again, I just feel strongly about this. Like, and it's okay if it's frustrating. It doesn't mean you're not in the will or it doesn't mean it's not time. Two years ago, I felt like I needed to do something in a, in a line of business. And it was frustrating. It was a learning curve. And I just pretty much laid it down. Recently, Bucky has ignited this again in me. And, and it was already starting to roll, roll around in me again. And it's been frustrating again. But I know that if I stick with it, it's going to start rolling. And I spent over an hour, I think, with Drica on the phone trying to figure some stuff out. I don't think we figured anything out at that, at that time. And I left, I, I got off the phone with a headache, and I was just, oh, this is so frustrating. But it, something in me saying, it's okay. You're taking over that city, and, and I'm taking over Jericho. Come on. It may not happen the first time I go around. It may not happen the second time I go around. But if I keep going around, eventually those walls are coming down, and I'm inheriting my promised land. It's okay if it doesn't happen the first day. It's okay if it doesn't happen in the first six years, but on that seventh year, the walls are coming down. But what if we quit walking around that, that city? What if I give up? Two years ago, I gave, where would I be today? What provision would I have now? What city would I be in now? Like, I gotta keep, I can't, I can't let up. I gotta keep going around that wall. I gotta keep praying. I gotta keep confessing. I gotta keep declaring. I gotta keep learning and pushing. So point three was lessons from Jericho. <laughs> Guys, this is actually fun, but it is stretching when to actually work with somebody. We, me and my wife did this, but it's a little different when it's not your wife. Um, so it's actually quite fun. Um, so lessons from Jericho. There's three I have. Obedience, praise, and first fruits. So obedience, they were given specific boundaries of how to take that city. Very specific boundaries of how do they do it. And a lot of people, 
And he taught on this, what, five weeks ago? Okay, anything inside of boundaries? Uh-oh. The, the kingdom has boundaries, but no limits. When they did exactly what the Lord said, the walls came down and they took the city and destroyed everything. So their obedience, we got to realize boundaries. Most people think boundaries are bad. Boundaries don't put God in a box. They actually give us focus. That was, I'm going to give credit, that was Bucky we were talking yesterday. We think boundaries are bad, like I'm stopping that, but it actually gives us focus to where we can live within the abundance of God. If God says my promised land for them was Canaan, and I live outside of it, do I experience the blessings of the promised land? No, there's a boundary that in the natural that the Lord set up for them. So you don't receive it. The boundaries are not a limit on God. They are just giving us a focus of where we're to be and to where we're to stay to experience the abundant life. So he kind of touched on the walls of Jericho. So that story, I love that story. I've actually did a Jericho march with kids back in Virginia Beach where we had a bounce house and we walked around it. Then on the seventh time they yelled and we turned the air off and it fell and the kids all screamed. But it is such a cool thing. It was really cool. The kids had fun. Then they said, please inflate it again. We want to jump in. But their shout was the praise. Because it says in Joshua 6, in Joshua now Joshua, in verse 10, it says, Now Joshua had com- commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say shout. Then you shall shout. How many of us could walk around the IDL one time a day and not talk? That was some obedience on their part. They did it. And then on the seventh day, they walked around six times. And on the seventh time, on the long blow of the trumpet, they were told to shout. And Joshua says this, and Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. That shout was their praise. Because when he said the Lord has given you the city, there was a shout that came forth that caused the walls to crumble. Not a shot fire, not whatever weapons they had. It was the shout. It was a praise to the Lord that he had given them victory. And they trusted enough to walk for seven days and not speak, not shout, and listen to the Lord. So there's obedience. There's the praise. And there's the first fruits. Which this is one that was interesting is in Jericho, they were to take nothing. Nothing personal. Everything was to be burned up except for, I believe it's the silver, gold, and the vessels of bronze and iron, which was funny. You guys brought that up in your offering message. And that was for the treasury of the Lord. Everything else was to be destroyed, which means the Jericho was the first fruits of the promised land. Because in the other cities, they were able to take the animals and different things. Each city, there was maybe a little bit different thing that the Lord said you can allow. But in Jericho, they were to take nothing. And so there's a place of obedience. There's a place of praise in the Jericho story. And there's a place that we see the principle of first fruits that I know Roberto has taught on first fruits, uh, which is the first fruits of the increase you give to the Lord. Yeah, again, you got to know what's yours. If you don't know, if they didn't know Jericho was theirs, they couldn't have taken it. They wouldn't have lasted through those six days. There's no way. I, I can remember standing in our living room 
And our oldest daughter was dealing with a meth problem. And there was a lot of shadiness and stuff going on. And we got in there and prayed, and she had me pray. And I was focused on the walls and on the city and like, wow, these walls are big. God, if it be your will. I did one of those prayers, believe it or not. And she stopped me mid-prayer and took over. It was like she was like, whatever. This girl is mine. This is my daughter. And she started praying a powerful prayer, and everything changed. And she's meth-free, I don't know how many years, two years? Two years to uh, just recently, a week or so ago, she's meth-free for two years. But it took standing and knowing what is ours. She knew what was hers when my eyes were on the big old walls. You know what I mean? You got to know what's yours. I share a little bit more of just what happened a year ago, right? Was it a year ago when they got married? Like there's just that testimony is just evolved. Yeah. I mean, they got married it was about a year ago, right? October? Wow, I'm time's flying. They got baptized and they got they gave their just, life to Christ. They got baptized back here. Yeah. And now, since it's on Facebook, she's yeah. now pregnant. Oh, she's pregnant. So that testimony, what's happening? It's rolling. Because of the fruit. mama's prayers, standing in faith, knowing what's hers. So another lesson is a lesson from. How do we say Achan? I don't, the guy that sinned that took land from Jericho, and then it brought judgment on the whole land of Israel. Um, and it shows how in that they were to take nothing. And in Joshua 7, they go up to fight in Ai, and they lost. They come off this battle of Jericho. They defeat the fortified city. Ai, if you read it, says they sent them in. The men said, we only need two to 3,000. We'll defeat them easily. And they go get defeated. So Joshua gets on his face. Lord, what's going on? And the Lord says, I don't have a highlight, but he says, get off your face. You guys have basically disobeyed me. And so the Lord shows him. And he goes, tells Joshua, you're going to call each tribe. And when they come before you, I'll tell you the tribe of the one that disobeyed. And then once that tribe comes through, we're going to come by the clans. And I'll show you which clans. Then after the clans come through, I'll have them come through as individual clans. And I'll show you the family. And he said, as the families come, that family comes through, I will show you the one that disobeyed the order for Jericho. And that was, Achan is how I'm saying it. But it's one of those things. At that point, that one's disobedience affected the nation. But also we can say, well, man, that's horrible. But guess what? One man's obedience can affect the nation. Because we can sit there and think, man, it was horrible for him. And his family did lose their lives. But also, it shows me how the power of obedience, the power of your yes, affects your family, affects your community, affects your neighborhood. As you start to get stretched, others around you will start to stretch too. But as you're stretching them, their stretch is going to cause you to stretch. And you want to run with people that are stretching you. Because if all you're running with people are people that cause you to be stretched, or you're always stretching them and there's no reciprocity, you've got to find those people because... The people that I surround with, yeah, I might have moments where I stretch them, but they're stretching me. And that's that place where you're mutually helping each other achieve what God showed us. So that component of the yes that's been said over this house has caused all of us to stretch. But your personal yes is also causing us to be stretched in stewarding services and as things that go. 
So, number five, we have lessons of the treaty with the Gideonites. Now, this one goes back to we have to consult the Lord in all things. He's with us. Why would we do something without consulting him? Because the Gideonites came, they, they actually dressed up to make it look like they came from a foreign land, and they asked to make a treaty with Joshua and the nation of Israel because they didn't want to be destroyed. So after this, they went through, they had the moldy bread that made it look like they were really, they traveled far away. And they said, we've heard about the exploits that you guys have done, and we just want to make a peace treaty so you don't destroy our land. And so they were trying to figure out if they were actually local, which would be one of the people they were to conquer and take their land. But in Joshua 9, 14 and 15, it says, the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it says three days later, they found out that they lived in the land that was theirs. And now they had promised. And the Lord, if you read it, it says, you cannot kill them because you made a covenant. Because if you do break your covenant, it'll bring the vengeance of the Lord on you. So these people became the woodworkers and different things. But it's because they made a promise and didn't consult the Lord. So just the thought I have on that is, if we consult him in all things, he'll, re he'll reveal the hearts of the people that are for us and the hearts of the people that really have ill, are deceptive intents for us. Because they really went there to deceive so that they spared their lives and it cost a portion of the promised land that Israel was to possess. So be wise and seek counsel of the Lord in everything. There is nothing too small, guys. Nothing too small for the counsel of the Lord. So and then the lessons of dividing the land between the tribes. So there's a lot in the first 10 to 12 chapters. I'll be honest, the next, like, I'm not sure the total chapters, but the next is about dividing the land, and it's a lot of this tribe got this land in this city and this city. It, it doesn't read as well as the first 10, but I actually did read through it all. But they divided the land in Joshua 14, 1 through 5, and Joshua 18, 1 through 8. The title on the King James, James says, The land divided west of the Jordan. And I'm going to jump to verse 5. It says, As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Then Joshua 18, and I'm going to go to verse 10. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. And the part that we had talked about on this one is, they all got land. Some of it, was just from casting lots, where they actually, if you read it, they had to go out and spy the land that was there. They divided it in seven because them were the seven tribes that had not got land. And then they cast lots to see who got it. How many of us, if we broke this church into seven people and said, this is your area, and you cast lots, and you got one, how many of us would probably start complaining? I wanted that lot. That one had a river. This one only has a pond. There's no comparison. What God gives you is what he ordained for you. Walk in it. Be grateful. Be thankful. It would have been easy for the tribes to complain about their portion of land. But if you actually tend to what God gives you, your portion will always be bountiful. A lot of people are more worried about what the others receive. And in Joshua, it doesn't say that they complained and murmured about the land they got. But the Lord quickened me is, we need to have that place of we're not comparing 
are complaining about what we receive. Because there's very potential, the thing that you like in somebody else, and you think it's something you could handle, at your current maturity, it might destroy you. There's things that I can handle today that if I would have had, for, had them, when I asked for them, I would not be standing here. They would have destroyed me. So I, there's wisdom in knowing, accept what the Lord gives you, dream, because he's going to continue to give you more, and walk out from glory to glory to glory. Live that abundant life. And he'll prepare you to have what you need, and he'll give you the character to maintain what he blesses you with. Because there's a lot of believers, they get everything they want, but they don't have the character and they lose it. Been there, played that game, lost it. Building differently this time. Yeah, my promised land doesn't look like Cassie's promised land. My promised land doesn't look like Tom's promised land. Our promised lands look different. We can't compare like he was saying. And I was having a conversation with Clayton earlier this week. The dude is amazing. He can run circles around me. And I've even tried to take Clayton and pull him into front line because I knew that. And what I saw was, and what the Lord told me, was, why are you trying to drag him down? So I had to let go of that finally. But just because he could run circles around me and around front line doesn't mean that that's his promised land. He's got, God's got a promised land for him, and it's bigger, and it's better. And I can't try to drag him into my promised land, or he can't try to take over somebody else's promised land just because he's better at it. His promised land looks different than mine. Mine looks different from Cassie's. We all have our promised land. So now we're going to kind of jump. This is the, this is the part that's going to make us stretch. Um, because the promised land is going to require what? Different thoughts and different words. And the things that I'm going to bring out and the words aspect, these are the things that I know I've said in this house, are said in my own family, that he's started to show me them aren't things I can carry into the new season. Because the two big things we're going to talk about is the power of our confessions and the power of perspective. And so if you go to Numbers, which is Numbers 13, it talks about the 12 spies, how they went in. And I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Two of them saw the abundance and their ability to take it. Ten of them saw the negative. And the funny part is those ten that saw the negative, they helped carry the fruit out. They helped carry it out. Two men have basically a tree they cut down with the fruit on it, and they walked it across to where they were in the wilderness, and they still said, the fun word in verse 28 of Joshua 13, nevertheless, so we went to the land where you sent us, it truly flows with milk and honey, and there is, and it is fruit, nevertheless. And they go in about seven verses of how they are grasshoppers in their own eyes. How we can't defeat him, all this stuff. Then you have Caleb, who was the one that spoke out and said, he quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession. We are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people. They are stronger than we. And they gave, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. And this, i never seen this until this morning, means Sergio reading through the notes. And in verse 33, they, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, come from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our sight, and so we were in their sight. 
they saw themselves as grasshoppers. Then the people in the promised land perceived that they were grasshoppers. It's funny how many people see, our, see you the way you see yourself. Because I, I had to read a couple times, it says, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so were in their sight. They first perceived they were unable. And then the people around them said, yeah, I agree with you. You're not able. We're going to defeat you. How many of us have actually been defeated in our own head and we're actually able to take the person who's there, but we were defeating our own head and they took that and defeated us? So the first thing is our thoughts, our perspectives and our mindsets. What has to be different in your promised land? And I'm talking, there's a personal promised land for you and there's a corporate promised land that we're getting to, we're walking in. So these, there's mindset shifts I'm changing as I look at what's happening here, but also what's happening in my own marriage. And so Philippians 4, 8, and 9, and I'm going to read it in the message. It says, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you do best by filling your minds and meditating on these things. True, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you have heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. The most standard versions say, what is honorable, right, pure, lovely, good, excellent, and worthy of praise. How many of us, if we just take an hour and think what you're saying, what are you speaking over your spouse? What are your thoughts? We're driving to see Santa last night because Robert and Tammy play Mr. and Mrs. Claus. And so I wanted to see him just doing what he loves, bringing joy to people. And so we're driving up there and I make a comment to my wife. She looks at me and she goes, is that nice? Is that kind? I'm like, you got to love when you're working on a message and it's, it's stirring in you and you're sharing it with your spouse. And they just so lovely and go, is that what you're teaching tomorrow? <laughs> Sorry. So, but guess what? You need to have people in your life that hold you accountable. It is a blessing to have somebody that will do that. Because guess what? I also get to hold her accountable on that. Because we're growing in that area. We, we didn't start out great. We're better now and we're going to continue to get better. I used to be very harsh. I remember one time we were in the Florida Keys with my family and my brother goes, I can't believe you talk to your wife that way. I'm like, okay, that's what we do. And this, I jumped, I totally just dumped to words. So I'm going to go here for a minute. But it's one of those things I actually had, you know, that's just how we were. That's just how we talk to each other. I, that was my response. I can be rude because that's what we've accepted. But does the promised land allow that? And there, there's been immense growth, but there's still things. Yeah, and she's always big on this. Like, I used to, so once I started talk, talking as rude, I would joke about it. And she goes, there's a little truth in every joke. And usually there is. There's that little bit of, eh, with every joke. So I joke less now than I used to because I've seen it in people that made comments to me. And I'm like, I know they're joking, they're smiling, they're laughing. 
but there's a little sting to that. There's a little, they're actually trying to do the jab. And so it is one of those things. It's had me have to change my thought process. And as you change your thought, what happens? Your words follow. So, you know, even though I separated my notes, your thoughts are what precede your word. And so as I'm going on, there was a place. I used to be a chiropractor. And the last couple of years we did weight loss. So don't judge me now because I don't follow the program anymore. But so, <laughs> thank you. Is this, is it sweater? <laughs> Where was I going with this? Okay. But there was a place that when you're selling weight loss, you get really good at judging flaws. And you get good at finding the, their trigger point to sell them a $2,000 weight loss program. So you get very critical. So if I'm doing that in the office to make money, it carried into my house. And I was very judgmental. And we're like, well, we're going to do the program again. I got down to 180 pounds. And finally, one of my patients goes, you're starting to look sick. Because I, I didn't know I had bone structures like I did. Because I have never seen it. And I've only seen it for about three months. And I, but it's one of those things. In that period of stepping out of that, the Lord had me change in my phone. It says, beautiful Cassie. It wasn't because there was a physical, she's beautiful physically. But the Lord said, I, this is how I see her. So she didn't even know that I changed my phone and it says beautiful Cassie until we're riding the car and she's like, she's like, why does it say like call beautiful Cassie? It was something the Lord prompted me to do to change how I've seen her because I was in a world of what the world says. It's weight loss. You have to weigh this. You have to be this. You have to be define this characteristic. Otherwise you're not fit. And we need to take care of our temples. You got to be wise, be led in what you do. But I was not in that lane of it. I was in the lane of what the world said beauty was. So the Lord changed how I did it. And it was simply, every time I called my wife, what did my car say? Calling beautiful Cassie, calling beautiful Cassie. And at least five, six years later now, it still says the same thing. My kids, it says, call, calling awesome Bryce, calling awesome Grant. Because the Lord said, what are you speaking over them? How many of us, like these were things he convicted me of years ago. Guess what? Every time I call my kids, calling awesome Bryce, calling awesome Grant. Wow, that changes. If you're, if you're calling to yell at them because they screwed up and you hear calling us, it kind of like, okay, I'm going to take a moment. The Lord had me do this for a reason. Because there's oftentimes I'm working and she's like, the kids are acting up. They're not listening. You've got to talk to them. All right, I'm going to call them. Then, then you have that little calling. But it changed my perspective. That's all, it's all fun, but them are things the Lord had me do because I was not always speaking life. I was not being the prophet of my house and speaking life. The prophet's the one that sees and declares them were things that the Lord had me change in my thought pattern for my family so that when I started declaring, I now declared life over my kids. And we have ways to go, but it's better today than it was. And I can say it's going to get better, and it's going to get better, and it's going to get better. Because as you think on these things, as you meditate on these things, the things that are good, pure, honorable, it will change what you say. Part of possessing the kingdom is leaving some statements behind. So I obviously talked more of the personal already. But one of those, and this is something we've talked about, is we, we say normal people can't hang here. But what if they're believers, they're born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost, and they want the glory, they can hang. There's a place for me, it became almost a badge. Like, yeah, we, we, we do this, and people can't hang unless they're really hungry. But what if they can't hang, and we just start confessing that, 
they'll come in, they'll grow, they'll stay, they'll mature. It's a different thing that I have to start saying because we're confessing that people, we can't. So that's one of them. Anything to add on that one? I actually talked to Bucky because he's the one the first time. The grow or go. He one time, and the heart of it was so pure. But the Lord, that's one of the ones convicted. I talked to him about yesterday. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm going to bring that one up because he, he's the one that first said it. But does the Lord do that to me? In my private time? If there's an area I'm not growing in, does he just say go? And I, I can give you scripture where somebody was told to go. We can talk about Paul where he, they put the guy out. But you know what? They brought him back in and they went through restoration and all these things happened. And, God, and Paul wrote 75% of the Bible and I only know one instance where they had to put somebody out. But we make it sound like it happens every week. And sometimes you get in that mindset that it does. So I told Bucky, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be saying to go or go as something. And I, I even talked to, I actually at one point asked him to make a t-shirt of it. Because I'm like, that's awesome. But then the Lord starts showing me the promised land isn't. We become a place that nurtures the ones. If they're not growing, how do we speak life into them to bring that? What, do we, what fertilizer do we need to bring? What nutrients, what water do we need to till the soil so they can actually root in? And so on that, John 15, 1 through 8, in the Passion Translation, Jesus, the living vine. And it says, I am the true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. He props up. He lifts up the fruitless one. That's not grow or go, guys. This is scripture. I've read this sitting up here as I said grow or go. Because I went back and looked. He props them up. He's not cutting them off from the vine. He's propping it up until they're fruitful. Some people might be a week. Some people might be a year. Some people might be 10 years. But the Lord's going to sustain us in that time. And honestly... John 15, if you haven't read it all, it's amazing. Um, I encourage you to read it in different versions because it just brings out different aspects of that. But it says right there, he cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless ones. <laughs> Front row is amazing again. But that, that changes. I can't say grow or go. It changes how I have to speak. And I'm not going to preach right there. That Bucky guy, you got to watch out for him. Yeah. I, I, uh, I can tell Jason I was going to do this, but I'll put this little thing over here. So uh, I call these things hang-ups. And everybody knows what a hang-up does. Here, grab this. This is what a hang-up does. It hangs you up. It stops you. And I have, God's been dealing with me on hang-ups for over a year, and it's been crazy how many hang-ups I have. But it's little hang-ups, and I've talked to Rod about it. There are little hangups that we have, and one of them is, um, it's not about numbers, it's about the people. Oh, stop me from growing. Stop my church from growing. It's not about the numbers, it's about the people. Okay, we get that. It's about the people. We've understood that. We've said that for years. We've established it. So let's start growing. Let's start getting out there and spreading the gospel and start growing and bringing in numbers. In the book of Acts, there's one chapter, it was 1,000. The next chapter is 5,000. That's, that's a deal, and that's another hang-up. Them megachurches, I'll tell you what. Let's stop you from You're growing. <laughs> Jesus fed 5,000 people. That's a megachurch. Come on. 
4,000 come in on one or 5,000 in the book of Acts. That's a mega church. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. And who cares what they're doing? We need to be about our business, our father's business. Another one is, uh, <laughs> it's not about the money. <laughs> okay, I get that. This was one of mine. I'm telling you, a hang-up. Keeps me, keeps me broke. And it's not about the money, bro. Okay, we get that. It's not about the money. This, this is the stuff I've had to tell myself. Okay, it's not about the money. Okay, now let me go out and start making money so I can take care of my family and take care of those around me. Like, we got to get rid of these hang-ups. And I'm telling you, nearly every week, God's bringing up a hang-up with me. So, I just wanted to mention that. Do you got any more surprises back there? No. I don't like surprises. <laughs> I really don't. I don't like gifts under the tree. Like, I'm like, just don't even put it under the tree. Just tell me what it is. If you can see her face, she's agreeing. Like, at least he didn't beat me with the pole noodle. It's not over yet. But at some, at some point, you gotta, we got to get away from our hang-ups and from these little words of, uh, of these, they're just excuses. They're us trying to make sense of what's not going right and, and get past it and start declaring what the promises are, what the promised land is. No, I'm prosperous. No, this is a church of growth. We're expanding the kingdom. We're bringing people in here, and lives are being changed. We have to start declaring at some point. So this one, I didn't think of it until this happened. It was said all the time at our church that we came from. And I hadn't thought of it until a whole big thing was posted on Facebook from somebody we used to go to church with. But he used to, the pastor said this, if I haven't offended you yet, come and see me personally and I'll offend you. And it, it, it's a mega pastor because we came from a mega church. And he said it and a lot of the people that came in. And their point was the gospel offends. So I'm going to make sure if I didn't offend you. And I'm like, that one just doesn't flow. And actually... It's actually going in a whole documentary and everything. That's how we found out, like, the people that were our neighbors that went to the church are now in a documentary for some stuff. So it's just kind of crazy. But, and actually, the article quotes him, them saying that. These are things that are being said in churches across America. That, like, it's not about the gospel. Jesus never intended to offend. He wanted to set people free. Offense only comes when you don't receive the word of the Lord. There's people that left offended to Jesus, not because he intended to offend them, because they rejected the word. So that's just a, one of those that, if you never heard it, don't even look it up, don't even worry about it, but I heard it a lot. Um, talking about the extreme cost versus extreme blessing. I, I, I've talked about it. Man, it costs so much. It's so, like, almost it's so hard to be in God's will. Like, it's like, we focus that it's so hard to be in God's will, but if we're led, it's actually fun. I've never had as much fun serving the Lord as I do now. But it took me from like, man, it's so hard. How do I live by the Ten Commandments? Imagine being Israel. They had 635. Plus the non-written ones. He gives us two. Love God and love your neighbor. But man, there's blessing upon blessing. But what do we usually speak about? The cost, the cost, the cost. But he says, I'm going to do a greater thing. I'm going to do greater than you can ever think, say, or imagine. So take your wildest dream that you wrote down and give it to God and you'll see something better than you can say or imagine. But we would choose to say what it cost us. And usually when we talk about what it costs, we're talking about what it costs us naturally, aren't we? I, I, can, I could put a number to what it cost me to come to Bible school. 
because I have done it. I did the math. But I'll tell you, I would not ever take what it costs. And actually somebody goes, well, you can consider all that sowed seed and you're going to get a harvest from what you gave up. I'm like, I like that mindset. Actually, I think that was Bucky. But his perspective is different. It's not about what you lost because you gave up a career. That's all sowed seed. I'm like, wow, I got some really good seed that I didn't even know I had in the ground. Thank you, Lord, it's coming in. But that's a change in perspective. I was looking at the cost, and I'm 90% sure it's Bucky. Bucky said, but what have you sown? What's your harvest? What's the blessing that's going to come from your obedience? There's great blessing from obedience. Just like we talked about Achan. There was consequences of disobedience, but there's always consequences to obedience. And we got to focus on the extreme blessing. Because he showers us with it. If you look at your life, every one of you, whether I know you're really good or not, there's blessings upon blessings that you're able to sit here in this place and look at your life, whether it's kids, families, even if you're teenagers or it's the youth, there's blessings in their lives. Most of us parents, what do we want? We want to have our kids have greater than we had. So what do you do? You, you're blessing your kids. You're loving them. There's things I walk in with my kids that, I can't believe I parent the way I do now compared to how I was raised. Because the bigger the belt, the better. If, if I break a switch on your butt, you're going to go cut a new one because I've had to cut a switch before. Because we thought it'd be fun to break the switch my dad always had on the thing. And so he says, now you get to go get a green stick and it'll hurt more. It hurt more. But the way I parent now, you're laughing. You had to do that too, didn't you? <laughs> but the way I parent now is if I'm forgiven, there, there's sometimes I, there's restrictions, but there's sometimes I just got to restore my sons, restore my daughter. Though they fall, he restores me. And I've had to learn how to walk that as a parent. How do I restore and not take the dream from my own kids? All right, I'll keep going. <laughs> this one I, I have not heard lately. We are a place of misfits. We are a place of misfits. It's been prophesied different things. Uh, and this was early on when I came in. The Lord, uh, during a time of prayer, said, that we're not misfits. We're a place of prodigals. Sons and daughters coming home to their calling. And we're just helping restore. Because the, pro I, the last time I spoke, I talked about, it's about, really about not the prodigal son. It's about the loving father that was already looking. The world calls them misfits because they haven't fit the form of what religious church says they should fit. Because depending on the church you came from, you, if you wanted to be anybody in that church, you had to conform to a specific image. You had to look a certain way. So when you don't conform, what happened? You're labeled a misfit and they put you out. Been on the outside before. But what if really their gift was called to be different? To be that one that stood up like Caleb and decree that that land is ours. To be the voice that talks out of line with culture. That is the one that speaks life over the nation. When there, there's even a lot of people that are, all they do, even they're, they're, they're prophets, and they're not decreeing the light of the body of Christ going forth. All, like there's certain ones I've stopped listening to because all it is is the doom and gloom and Trump's not in office. They're still stuck there. And there's things that are moving in the supernatural, but what about speaking life for the nation? We're called to be the light. And so that's something the Lord changed me on. And if I gave everybody a mic, so right now there's people that would be able to say, 
Yeah, there's things I say in my life or I've said over this church that are not in line with life, that are not in line with what is good, honorable, loving, kind. You got anything? And then this one, it's a funny one, and I still, we joke about it, but the term rebuke, and I've shared this before, the Lord said it's not a rebuke, it's a recalibration. Because if I say you're getting rebuked, you run, you hide. But it's really, we surround ourselves with people that hold ourselves accountable. And just like she's recalibrating my thinking, when I make a comment that isn't loving and kind, she looked at me and said, that wasn't loving, that wasn't kind. That was a recalibration of my thinking because I'm working to be a better husband. And so she gets the privilege of holding me accountable because that's what a husband and wife do. She has that place to speak into my life. Not always that I react well, but she has that place where I have to reflect on, am I doing the very things he told us to meditate on and speaking life into my own marriage in my own life? And somebody actually brought this up about, I think it was Brianna talking about the government. But we're confessing the negative. We confess the negative so much. Or are we just getting prepared for when the trouble comes so we're not caught off by surprise? And the Lord brought this scripture to me, and it's John 16, And it says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And I have stopped there so many times like, Yep, I know I'm going to suffer. I'm going to have trials, tribulations, and we're going to walk through life, and we're going to get a butt kicked all the time. And I probably, if I've had a conversation with you, I've probably brought that up. And he's like, all he's doing is telling you what's going to happen. Because we forget to read the first part. It says, that I, in, uh, that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But I already have the peace in me. Living, growing. But let's, I'm going to do a show of hands. Who here has confessed the tribulation trials thing and almost as a badge of honor that you know it's going to happen? Because I'm going after the Lord and the devil's going to beat me. That's not actually, biblical. What's That's that? Not, that is not biblical. I know. That's why it's one of the things of thoughts to change. <laughs> but honestly, by show of hands, who has honestly said that? Like, you getting attacked is because you're going after the Lord. Most people have said that. And it's not biblical, like he said. It's not the truth. We win. We have the victory. We are the light in the dark world. If you confess you're getting beat because you're serving the Lord, that's just, your focus is wrong. And everywhere you put your foot is yours. And that, that, that is one of the things that was told to Joshua. Everywhere your foot treads is yours. Everywhere. There's no excuses in that. Everywhere I set my foot is mine. Even though I'm walking into my work and I have four owners of that business, <laughs> when I step into that place, it's mine. They have been dead slow and I will go in there early and I will step foot in that place and I'll say, I'll declare business in that place because it's mine. I set my foot in that place. And now there's three of us. We changing things. <laughs> <laughs> So when it comes to America, I always think about that. This is ours. This country was built and set up a certain way. It's our nation. And, and you know, it talks about how judgment starts in the house of the Lord first. When, when people say of all this stuff coming, that, that's fine. But I always look at ourselves. It's because we're not doing the job we're supposed to be doing. If we have been doing what we're supposed to be doing, it wouldn't be where it's at. 
So at, at, it's, at what point do we take responsibility, quit looking at the walls and saying, no, Jericho is mine. The Lord gave us this mindset, perspective change. Amen. And he just brought out a principle of stewardship. Are you stewarding what he gave you? And I'm going to throw this out here because I am know he's going to take it. Because actually Christy and him have been talking about this concept of creation versus control. We'll give Christy credit on this one. But that concept, our words create. So we're called to create our environment. We're called to create our promised land, what we're walking in. We decree, we declare, we speak forth what he's shown us in prayer in our private time. Or do we think it's easier just to control? This is what I have, and I'm just going to control it. Control brings death. Is that how you said it the one time? Yeah. Control ultimately brings death. Because what will happen, you'll actually smother people. They'll stop dreaming. You'll stop, they'll stop believing. Because all they do is everything is micromanaged. You stop this and you stop this. But God wants us to create. Even when we don't see it in people, he says, speak life. When we're sitting through counseling things, he's, he'll always ask, Lord, show me their heart. Show me the heart of what's going on. Don't just go by the reactions or what they're doing. What's the heart? Why are they doing this? What's going on? What's the thing that I can say that will speak to the heart that will break the chains? Not so much how can I counsel them, but what is the word of the Lord that will break off really the root issue? Lord, show me their heart and you'll speak words of creation versus trying to control behavior. Because if you look at the Old Testament, what happened? They had the law, which was really what? designed to control behavior. If you look at the American law books, what happened? They start with laws and then something new comes up and new behaviors happen. So what do they do? They make new laws to control that behavior. Where the Lord wants to deal with the heart. You fix the heart and you speak life over them. You fix the sin issue. So you create within them the very thing that God has already placed in them so they can see. Your words create what people see about themselves. The people that encounter you, are you speaking life to the place that they walk away and they know that they're better off because you spoke over them? Or are they leaving saying, man, I got my butt kicked. I feel condemned. I feel convicted. I feel belittled. And so it's one of the things, what are you doing with your words? Are you creating? Are you bringing life? I found in our marriage, when we were walking through stuff, you, you go in and you start praying for your spouse and he starts pointing things out to you, or he starts saying, well, you actually are getting everything you confessed over your spouse. They'll never change. Yep. Played that game. Guess what? I got a wife that didn't change because I actually was speaking that over her regularly. She's loving this. I'm telling her myself all the time. She's, she's like in tears almost like, but I said these things over my wife and I wondered why my wife never changed for 17 years. Luckily, the last four years have been better. In Jesus' name. But literally, I used to say those things. Like, we used to joke. She could never work for me because I used to fire her every night and rehire her in the morning because we didn't have somebody else to come in when we had our office. We've actually enjoyed working together, sitting for eight hours a day, doing headers, pressing this little button 600 times a day. But we've had fun. Ten years ago, she would not have worked with me. We, we would have not done well. But we're like, we actually enjoy this. Like, the Lord's graced us in this season to do this. And it's going to be a short one, but it's been one of those things. My words either created goodness in my life and my spouse or created death. And so when I, one I know I said, my wife never changes. 
Like when you ever have the fight, who here has had to fight? And you go, well, this is just like the last one. Nothing's changed. And that's where you start. And then it just goes. Psh. And some of you never have, and I need to learn from you because I actually had a conversation with Bucky again. And this is a point. And I didn't read it, but like talking about how I speak to my wife. And Jesus said, he, he was just meditating on that. And show me a place where Jesus actually fought with his disciples. Show him where he actually raised his voice, yelled at them, all this type of stuff. Show me a scripture that he did that with his disciples, the very ones that he did life with. But I think it's scriptural that I yell at my wife. I argue with my wife. I do these types of things. And I, I say, that's, that's the Lord in that. I used to be the truth hammer. She was the grace one. Now we blended. But it is one of those things. Show me a place. Show me a scripture where Jesus fought with his disciples. Like when Bucky told me that yesterday, I'm like, Wow. I'm called the disciple. My, I walk and I disciple with my wife and I would disciple my kids. And so why, why do I think the louder I yell, the more my kids respond? They just respond louder. <laughs> and most of the parents said, that's true. But that is something like when he said that, I'm like, Lord, that's, that's a place of like, hmm, I feel I've done good on parenting in the last three years. I got to even do better. That perspective is, like, still rocking my world. So if Jesus didn't do it with his disciples, why do we fight with our spouse, our kids, or our church members? And that all came from creation and control. That was not blended together like I thought it was going to go. And back to, because I kind of jumped around, about the world and the negative stuff in the scripture, John 16, 13. Once again, I had the privilege of talking with Bucky for two hours yesterday. And also, that was after he taught for an hour. But he sent me this, and I'm going to credit to Bucky. He said he got it from somebody, but he didn't know who it was. So, when you are unprepared and trouble comes at work, in your relationship, our finances, or our health, it takes you down. It takes us into anxiety, anger, bitterness, despondency, depression, and isolation. When we are unprepared and temptations come, whether material, carnal, or moral temptations, then too, they too take us down away from God, and into sin. Compounding our lack of preparedness, the enemy is always quick to interfere and give us misinformation. And that applied with, the word tells us we're going to have tribulation, not that we focus on it, that we prepare ourselves. That I speak life around myself, that, so when it comes, I'm not shaken by it. Because I, I created my foundation on the word. And the word is Jesus, and he lives in me. And I'm not going to be shaken by the word. I don't even have to worry about it, because when it comes, I already have the foundation that's not shakable. Because my foundation is built on the rock of Jesus Christ, not on sandy soil. So, I mean, if you're watching news, you're getting a lot of negative. Are you really being built on the rock? Are you being built on what the world says? And are you, are you looking at the scripture and being so worried about what the world tribulation is that you don't see the peace of God that lives and dwells in you? These are things that I'm not saying anything, guys, that I'm not processed through. These are literally things I can walk through and say, if I really went through my journals, I could give you the dates the Lord's dealt with me on these things. So these are just things that you have to change your perspective, change your mindset, and change your word. You're speaking over your life, your territory, your church, your family, whoever it is. Change what you speak. Speak life. Create the very environment you want. The promised land, when you cross in, you don't cha change your first love. 
because what led you to the promised land is seeking after him and it's very easy back to where i started don't let the business busyness of ministry take you from the heart of the god whenever we go and we're going and what the promised land looks like and the land we're taking we never leave the place that he's always with me we never jesus always no matter what he did he went and ministered he went and withdrew and went to be with the father he went and healed somebody raised the dead he went to be with his father we will be people that will go but we will be people that always go with the presence of the lord that love of his presence is a thing that will actually propel us to do greater than we can think or imagine because it's not us doing it it's the presence that lives and dwells in us so i'm going to have them just go through the course a little bit and as we talked about all the lessons of Jer the joshua and all the things that you might be processing that you might have to change in how you think or speak. Bring it before the Lord. Bring it before His presence and say, Lord, how do I make this change? Because if you take this and you change in your strength, you will actually end up changing for a short time, but probably going back and acting worse than you did. When I didn't change my heart and I was dealing with certain issues that I wanted out of my life, when I did it in my own strength, when I rebounded, I actually went further back and deeper into it until the Lord took it away. And when he took away pornography, the way he did it, I never have had an issue for four years now. But I had been back and forth. And every time I thought I beat it in my own strength, I actually went deeper the next time. Because I was actually trying to self-righteously do what I thought I needed to do and modify my behavior without actually believing that I could be set free because the blood already set me free. And when I confessed that I'm forgiven, I never believed it because I thought I had to do penance. And when I thought the penance was done, I went back and did the same junk. And so he's calling to the place of, in his presence, but we don't do it in our strength. But we're set free and we believe the blood does what the blood says. And it sets us free not to go back, but to go from glory to glory.